Glad you're here. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm lead pastor here. I get to bring God's Word this morning. As we meet together, we are really celebrating our worship time. It's really about ultimately celebrating all that we have in the Lord, who we are by His grace. And part of that, an important part of that is being before the Lord and listening to Him, encountering Him by remembering by experiencing His presence, but by listening and receiving from Him as He speaks to us. He's a speaking God. He's given us His Word in the Bible, His very words, uh, and He wants to speak to us through the Word. The Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's Word and, and applies it to our hearts and opens up our eyes to see and behold things about God and about ourselves in His Word. So uh, this is all part of our worship time. And we are a church that... Uh, for the most part, we'll preach and teach through books of the Bible. Uh, we'll take time here and there to address topics and get sticking close to the Bible as we do that. And we just finished, uh, as Toby referenced, a series in Ephesians, and we are starting a series, a new series, uh, in the Old Testament. It's a new series called Long Story Short, uh, a personal journey through the Old Testament where we'll journey through the Old Testament and we'll do that mostly through particular characters, particular key figures in the Old Testament. We will learn uh, as we follow them to live amidst the ups and downs of our human experience uh, as God's people, as God's covenant people as we journey through. That's really what the Old Testament is about. Uh, It's journeying through the ups and downs, the challenges, the failures, uh, all the different things that we face as God's people. Uh, learning about God, learning about ourselves through that. And, and so I'm excited for this section, for this series. Uh, now, we're, not, we're only going to do a portion of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a big part of our Bibles, right? And it would take us a while to get through the whole thing. So we're going to just take a portion and look at some of the key figures, not all of them. Uh, but I think it's going to serve us because I think this is a part of our Bible. I, I don't know, maybe... I mean, I know I tend to do this. Maybe for you it's true. Maybe it's not true. And if not, that's great. But a part of the Bible that we often neglect. It's a part of the Bible that we don't necessarily spend much time in. And there are different reasons for that. There are different reasons that we neglect uh, the the Old Testament. Um, It can be just because of the sheer volume of it. You know, if we look at our Bibles, uh, most of the Bible is the Old Testament. So if I divide up my Bible just by thickness, you can see that most of it is the Old Testament. So it could just be the sheer volume. Like, that's a big part of the Bible. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of characters, a lot to work through. And, and so we don't tend to go there. Uh, it can be sometimes because we encounter things that are kind of different. Uh, different than what we're used to. Different than what we maybe see in the New Testament. We, maybe, you know, maybe you tried to read through the Old Testament and you, kept the, you did it for a while and then you hit the begats. right? You hit that section where, where it said that this guy begat that guy and then he begat someone else and and so forth and so on. And you're like, what, what's that all about? What's the begatting? What are, why are all these people listed here? Um, so it could be just things like that you encountered. Some think that the Old Testament actually is a, a different dispensation. It's a, it's a time when people didn't live under grace. They lived under law or, or some version of that. So like, why would you want to read about that then? I mean, we live under, this, we live under grace now. And yeah, we obey the law. We fall through the law. But it's different. Why do I want to go back to that stuff? All that law stuff, all the you shall and shall not, I don't want to go there. Uh, and that, that can be a reason that people stay away from it. Sometimes with that, people will think, well, the, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. 
There is, it's been a heresy actually in the church that, that's, that there's different gods from the Old Testament to the New, or God's somehow different. He, he just kind of maybe had a bad day when the Old Testament was going on, and he's having a good day right now. Uh, and so people stay away from the Old Testament for that reason. Sometimes it's, it can be like people just don't have confidence in it as authoritative as true. You know, these are tales, these are myths meant to teach a lesson, but that's about it. And got the lesson, let's, let's move on. Um, Sometimes it can just be because people want to read stuff that more explicitly features Jesus. They want to read the Gospels because you can just watch Jesus in action and encounter Him there. Or the epistles are good too because they're always referencing Jesus in a direct way. I don't know if those are reasons that uh, are in your mind or have been in your mind at, at any time, but I think for these reasons and more, we tend to neglect our Old Testament. And I would say that the, uh, the lack of depth of our knowledge of a God uh, is related to our lack of knowing the Old Testament. If we really want to know God, our ability to, to know who He is and our ability to live as His people depends on knowing the Old Testament. It's kind of like if you were married and you fell in love with your spouse and you really didn't know a whole lot about them. I mean, you knew who they were, right? You knew, I mean, this is a wonderful person. All my interactions have been wonderful. They're just so kind and so funny and so considerate and so talented and so beautiful and all these things. And, and so you, you, know, you fall in love and you get married, but you don't know anything about their family. You don't know anything about their history. You don't know anything even about their long-term plans and dreams. You don't know like, all their particular preferences. You don't even necessarily know like, their, 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 their humor, all the details of the humor, the, the things that have had an impact on life. You don't know that. You just know I'm in love. And they're beautiful. And yet you don't know the rest. And that's similar to how we can be sometimes with our Bibles. I mean, we look at Jesus and we, we are captivated by Him and we're drawn to Him and we understand who He is I read in the New Testament, but there's a lot more to the story if we want to understand who He is and, and what it means to know Him, what He's done for us, and, and the, the depths of what that means. We need to visit the Old Testament to get that. That's the background. We can't fully know God and we can't fully know ourselves as His people and, and just as humans, but in particular as His special, as His covenant people without seeing Him and ourselves through the Old Testament. The grand story of God captured in the Old Testament is essential for understanding life now as a New Testament believer. As I say on the slide there, know God and know yourself by knowing the Old Testament. That's what's behind here. So I just want to put those before you. We're going to be in the Old Testament a little bit this morning. If you're waiting for me to read the Word, we're going to be reading the Word and looking at the Word. But just to put that before you and ask, you know, how well do you know your Old Testament? How well do you know God and His people through the Old Testament? God wants you to know Him in a deep way by engaging with the Old Testament and seeing who He is and seeing what it means to be the people of God. And having your relationship as a New Covenant believer, New Testament believer, enhanced and deepened and changed. That's what we're after in this series. So we're going to journey over the next six months, take a break for Advent, a couple little breaks here and there, but over the next six months into the spring, journeying through the Old Testament and learning. What I want to do this morning is just give you a little bit of an overview and really kind of give you some key points that I think will help 
navigate, help you navigate through this series and help you navigate through your Old Testament because our desire here isn't that your only encounter with the Old Testament would be when you come on a Sunday, but it would be during the week that this series, and even this morning, God willing, would, would inspire you to open up the Old Testament and start digging in. So what, what I want to do is just to give some guide points that will help us in our thinking and understanding of the Old Testament. And I think help deal with and address some of the reasons that we might neglect our Old Testament to prepare you for the series and just to enjoy that. Well, I can't do that though on my own and we can't do that. So let's pray for God's blessing on this time as we dig into these points, as we dig into His Word. Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You've given us this whole Bible with all this stuff in the Old Testament. And it's not irrelevant. Lord, it's very relevant to us. You want us to understand uh, who You are and what it means to be Your people. And thank You, Lord, that You have preserved it for us. For King of Grace today and for the series and more, Lord. You want us to encounter and engage with You. So we ask You, Lord, help us this morning to listen and to hear truth from Your Word. Help me to speak truth. And I pray, Lord, as a result, we would be changed. Changed in our understanding of You. Changed in our lives. Changed in how we treat the Old Testament. That would draw from it life and encouragement and truth and knowledge of You and, and be transformed by You as we dig into it. Thank You, Lord. This is Your intention so we can pray with confidence. So come, Holy Spirit, be with us as we visit these truths in Your Word this morning for Your glory, our good, and for the sake of those who need to know You, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Three, three points. I think those are in your notes that I'm going to hit on as we go through it. And there are some sub-points related to these points. But three points that I'm going to hit on, you'll see in your notes. The first one, it says that the, uh, the Old Testament comes to us in many forms. The Old Testament comes to us in many forms. I think this is important to get because sometimes we stumble in, over the Old Testament because we don't understand that. that. And we, we take our experience with other parts of the Bible and we expect to see the same as we read the Old Testament. So when we hit the begats and things like that, we're like, what's going on? Or we hit the law like, wow, there's all these rules. What's going on here? So we have to understand it comes in many forms. The Old Testament is more like a library than a singular book. It's more like a library than a singular book. If you uh, were to go into the Haverhill Library, you would go in and you wouldn't expect to see the same sort of book on all the shelves, right? You wouldn't expect to see the whole library full of biographies. You're going to see and expect to see, yes, biographies, but also stories, how-to books, encyclopedias, periodicals, all sorts of things. Music, right? You expect to see all that stuff in the Haverhill Library. That's what the Old Testament is like. It's like a library. It has all different types of literature. All different types of things in it. And we have to approach each one of those understanding what's going on here. Is this, is this a biography? Or is this an encyclopedia? Is this a history book? Is this a story? Is this poetry? What, what is this? So getting that and understanding that is really important. So let me real quickly just hit on some of the different forms. There is in the, in the Old Testament what's called wisdom literature. This is literature that is aimed at giving instruction. It's aimed at making a point about how to live wisely. How to live wisely. It often uses the contrast between the wise person and the fool to kind of make the point. Uh, and it's not saying that you're either completely a fool or completely a wise person. All of us are kind of somewhere in between. It gives us the, these contrasts to challenge us to think about how to live wisely. And so books like uh, the book of Job is wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, some of the Psalms are wisdom literature. 
And so they give us these principles. Sometimes it's detailed, even a story. Job is a story. Uh, true story. Uh, sometimes though, it's just these pithy statements like in Proverbs, just full of this. Proverbs 20.29, 20, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Just a pithy statement about, about glory at different ages and stuff. It's just, that's kind of true, right? I mean, when you're old, it's hopefully wisdom. You're not that strong anymore. I wish I was strong. Sometimes I still think I'm strong, but I'm not. Uh, like I was when I was young. My sons are the strong ones. So that's a truth. It's a, and then in, in the wisdom literature, it's full of principles. It's not full of commands and promises. That's a mistake we sometimes make. You read Proverbs and you say, well, this is a promise. If I do this, right, if I work hard, I'll make money. And that's one of the things that Proverbs talks about. right? The diligent person is the one who, who uh, reaps from the field and so forth. right? The one who works hard. There's a lot of Proverbs on that. And we can think, well, that's a promise. No, it's not. It's a principle in God's universe. Uh, and so we don't take it as a promise or even necessarily a command. It's wisdom. And so that has to be understood as such if we're going to really benefit from that and avoid misusing the Scripture. Uh, we want to engage. There's poetry in the Old Testament. Lots of, of the Old Testament is in the forms of poems. And actually, uh, most of those poems are meant to be songs. Um, so songs pretty much are poetry put to music. And so there's a lot of poetry in the Old Testament. And uh, we, we don't know uh, what the tunes were for the original songs. And often we miss it because it, it, in the original language it was a poem, but when you translate it, you lose the poetic side. But, but it's full of poems. Often in our Bibles, they format the poetry song type things in such a way that you can tell, okay, that's something going, that's in quotes here. Something's going on, some sort of song. So there's a lot like that. The Psalms are all songs, they're all poems. The Song of Solomon, uh, Lamentations, and, and various parts of the Bible here and there are, are poetic. So you probably encountered this. Psalm 19 actually celebrates the revelation of God and, it, and through His Word. And it says in Psalm 19, 7-9, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You can hear the, the, poet, the poetry in that, even in the English translation. And those poems are meant to convey truths and to emphasize truths and use forms to do that. So getting that and understanding that is important. Much of the Old Testament, especially in the beginning part, is what's called law. There are rules. There are, you shall not. You shall do this. And there's the Ten Commandments. We're all probably... Uh, familiar with, or perhaps most of us are familiar with to some degree. But then if you read the Ten Commandments, you'll see that much of the rest of what follows is commentary on those commandments. It's application. It's specifics. So it goes on into a lot of detail. How to live out those rules in different ways in their, in their context as, as Israelites under the covenant. And by the way, it's really important to understand, when I'm going to talk about this later, that laws only make sense in the context of covenant. In the Bible... Laws are not given outside of covenant, outside of this, this vital relationship, this formal relationship with the Lord. Law is always given in light of that. And so the laws in the Mosaic covenant, the Exodus 20 and so forth, uh, are, are given after that covenant is made, after God rescues them from Egypt. He says, you're my people. I brought you out of Egypt. You are to have no gods before you but me. 
Uh, it's a response to His gracious activity. They, they have made a covenant, an agreement with Him. And in that agreement, there's, a, there's laws that follow. That's really good, important to get. Because I think we tend to abstract laws out of that. It's, laws are meant as a vital part of our relationship with God and living together uh, with, with God. Laws in, in the Scriptures. Laws are in the context of, of these, these arrangements. Uh, and really, that's true in society as well. So you guys know probably the Ten Commandments uh, that are in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Those Ten Commandments are there in Exodus 20. And they're kind of the, the core, the summation of the laws that God gave Israel in covenant. Uh, through the Mosaic Covenant. And there's the rest, again, in Scripture's commentary. So when you read that, I think it's important to get that. To know what's going on. There's an arrangement here. There's a covenant. And there's a relationship going on here. This is not just some abstract rules. Sometimes we treat rules that way. As some sort of abstract thing. Well, you just have to do it because that's what you have to do. No. In the Scripture, you, you love your neighbor as yourself because God calls us to that. Your neighbor's made in the image of God. God has loved you. So we are to do that. You are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're to do these other things. You're to not do certain things in relationship to this relation, the relationship with God. Much of the Old Testament is prophecy. It, it's, uh, we see beginning in Isaiah and going all the way to Malachi. There's a lot of the Old Testament that would be prophecy. It's prophets. The writings of the sayings of prophets that are written down. And often when we think of prophets, we think of those are the guys that tell the future, right? No, actually. Yeah, they do it, do that to a degree, but that's not their job. Their job is to speak for God. They speak for God to, God to the people. And most of what they're doing is saying, guys, we had an arrangement. God has been gracious to you. He has delivered you from these things. He's only been good to you. And you said, I will do these things. You agreed that I would... I would believe Him and obey Him and love Him and love my neighbor. You said that, and you're not doing it. That's what they, they basically... They were like lawyers prosecuting violation of this agreement. That's what they, they do. And so they would call them, really, they would speak about present events more than anything. Now, they would speak of future events because God understood that there was failure there and that He was going to deal with that failure, and He wanted to give them hope. So there's a lot of... He talks about well, this is what's going to happen if you continue in this disobedience. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to be exiled. You're going to be put outside. You're going to lose all the benefits of this arrangement we made because I said if you believe Me and walk in these ways, you will remain in the land and be blessed. And, and all the nations will see this unique country and ethnic people and be drawn to them even. But you've disobeyed, so I'm going to exile you out of this but then he starts to promise them, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to rescue you. You've been failures, but I'm going to make provision for you. And so that's when they speak of the future. And so there's a lot of Scripture that is prophetic writings. And that's what's going on there. A sampling from Joel 2. And this is, you'll see this sort of thing throughout. Uh, it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to Me with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. That's the sort of thing you see in the, 
in the prophets and he's speaking to God's people. Now there's application to us because it's God's still the same. We may not be in the Mosaic Covenant, but we are in the original covenant in Adam. We're called, we have an obligation to God and we've strayed from that. And he calls us to turn back to Him and to find Him as gracious. And He's provided for us in Christ to return. So there are all these different forms and that's important to get. When we're reading those different sections and as we go through this series and we hit on different things, uh, I, I say this so we'll realize, okay, oh, we're talking about something different now. We're going to look at the prophets. And that's a totally different thing than the law. Uh, or, the, or the history as well. Those are different things. And so we don't read them the same. We make mistakes with this. It happens all the time. But it's interesting because in real life, we don't tend to make mistakes, right? When we read different forms of literature, we intuitively get it. Do you know what I mean? Like if you, if you hear a weather report, you take it as a weather report, right? So if you were to hear Matt Norris say, he actually did say this at one point, a major storm is underway across the nation with numerous strong tornadoes and severe thunderstorms over the southeastern quarter of the nation, raging snowfall from Iowa to the central lakes, Great Lakes, flooding rains in the Midwest, yet a quiet Thursday here at home. A great day to push back the snow banks in northern New England and get ready for another one to two feet of snow. Um, I hope this isn't prophetic. Uh, while some southern New England communities will see a fairly impressive display of early morning snow on Friday as well. So you don't read that weather report and, and say, oh, this is prophetic. Matt Noyes is prophesying. That's what's going on here. And, and, and he's actually he's not talking about weather. He's talking about the economy. I believe what's going on is that he's saying that there's going to be these hard economic times. And, uh, and they're going to blow across the nation. And if we fight back and push back the snowbanks in our lives, we'll, we'll overcome and, and overcome this economic uh, disaster coming. Right? I mean, you don't do that, do you? I hope you don't do that. Uh, you get that that's the weather report, not prophecy. But sometimes people will read the Bible and they'll do that. They'll treat it as allegory. They'll read the stories and think, well, this is what God's doing and this is what this thing means. You know, it's some hidden meaning. No, it's... Stories are stories and to be taken as such. Prophecy is prophecy and to be taken as such. So that's important to get and to realize that, that, that we have to treat things as the genre, the, the type of literature that they are. Most of the Old Testament, by the way, most of the Bible is a particular form of literature called narrative. And that just means story. It can be a, a historical story, something that really happened, or it could be a parable story that's told about a fictitious event to illustrate something. Jesus used stories. He understood the power of story. 70% of the Bible's story. Isn't that interesting? 70% of the Bible is story. And we as a, as a church have spent a lot of time in the letters. They're not story. They're epistles. They're letters written to churches. And there's good reason for the letters. And so we want to honor their place. But I think Christians can sometimes get used to kind of the letters and be really poor at knowing how to handle the stories and being in the stories. And yet God gives us His book, His very Word, and 70% of it is story. He uses story. He wants to, to teach us things through story. And, and, he, and God is a fantastic storyteller. Do you know the, the stories in here are not in here just because they happened. They're not written just because, well, well this has happened, we have to report it. Uh, the, the history books in the Bible are not like how we would do history. History books now tend to, like, th their job is to report everything, right? And if they don't, if they skipped a major event or somebody, 
that we thought was important, we, we'd be like, this is terrible. I don't want to read this biography. The Bible doesn't have that approach. That's not the job. That's not the intent. The intent is to tell the stories that are best going to help God's people understand who He is and who they are. That's how the stories are chosen. Now, they're all true stories. But God orchestrated things in such a way that He would bring the stories that we most need to hear to us to teach us about Himself and to teach us about ourselves before Him. And so that's how we go after these stories. We go after them expecting to learn. Expecting to encounter God through the story in some way. Expecting to learn something about ourselves. And the stories in the Bible are fantastic stories. Well told. Typically, uh, in a story, just how it's laid out, uh, it introduces a character or a situation and does what we call character development, right? Like good movies, good books. They, you get to know the person a little bit before things get rolling. You get to know them, and all of a sudden something happens, right? And, and, and it starts to, the, the slope of intensity of the story starts to go up, and, there's, and you start to see that things happening, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and then it reaches some, some high point, some climax in the story, like, whoa! And then something happens to deal with that thing, whatever it might be. Uh, that situation, that challenge, and, and uh, often the protagonist, the chief person, character in the story, does is in, involved in that. You know, there's whatever. It could be like some corruption going on, and they discover it, and they expose it, and, and it gets resolved, and all of a sudden it gets dealt with, and things go back down the other side, and there's resolution, like, and then everyone lives happily ever after type thing, right? That's how stories work, and that's what you see in in the scriptures. That's what you see in life, and and I think we. We all enjoy a good story. And the, the stories of Scripture are given because, that, because we remember stories, because stories have a power uh, beyond direct instruction to get something inside our heads and in our lives. I could tell you God rescues us from our enemies. I could tell you that, right? And you, you would say, oh good, I like that, that's true. But you're probably not going to remember that. But if I tell you the story of David and Goliath and all that goes on with that, and I go through that story and, and you see the drama and you see this is David. He's just a young man. He's a nobody. Yet he's God's anointed. He's God's special, special chosen one who's going to be the king. And there's this giant Goliath who's huge and he's an incredible warrior and everybody's afraid of, of Goliath. No one wants to go near him because he knows that they know that the, he'll wipe them out and Israel will be defeated. What are we going to do? Everybody's, everybody's in fear. Everybody's worried that the people of God are being insulted by this guy. It's awful. And yet David comes up and says, I'll do it. And then there's all sorts of things in that story. You know, he tries the armor on, it doesn't fit. Just uh, great details that help us. And then he gets up, up there before the giant. And the giant threatens him. And David, in the name of the Lord, slings a stone and kills Goliath, defeats him, and, and Israel conquers. And Israel experiences peace. Right? That's a great story. And what does it teach us? God delivers us from our enemies. And we know ultimately that, that David points to the ultimate king who would conquer. We are like the Israelites who are all scared and weak and unable, quaking, waiting for deliverer. God sends His deliverer Jesus. He slaughters sin and death. And now there's peace in Him. See how story helps us get that? It's more than just hearing the statement, God delivers us from our enemies. We experience something in that story. That's how story is 
intended to function. That's why 70% of the Bible is story. Because it captures our attention and it helps us learn a lesson greater than if we just told the, the moral of the story. And there's lots of stories in the Bible. So we'll dig into some of these stories. I want us to learn not to gloss over the stories, not to be like, oh, let's just get to the point, but to read and, and see what's going on and enter in. There's something about a story, right, where we actually enter in. We feel like we're there when it's well told. I don't know, that's what I tend to do. Maybe that's weird, but I tend to think of myself like standing by watching David do these things and, and watching other soldiers be afraid and I'm afraid too. And, or sometimes I think I'm not. Sometimes I think I'd be just like David. And like, no, you wouldn't. Uh, you'd be like the other guys. You'd be just as scared. God just has to remind me of some of my own history to realize that that's totally true. Um, but I put myself in the story and I observe it and I watch it happen. And I feel like I was there. And I, and I learn and I'm changed really by that. That's God's intention. That's what I want us to do as we dig into our Old Testaments, as we learn and go through that. Wow, that's only point one. Um, it comes to us, the Old Testament comes to us through flawed heroes. It comes to us through flawed heroes. There are these people, these key people in the Old Testament. They're flawed heroes. And, and it's important to get that. That term, flawed heroes, goes together. These guys are heroes. They're not usual people. We have to be careful we don't identify too much. Now, there is reason to identify, and I think we're told in the New Testament to identify with these people. Elijah was a man just like us, right? So we're to identify with Elijah. Uh, Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed, and things happened, right? So God wants us to do that. But we, I think sometimes we do that a little too much. Because Elijah was an unusual person. And all these key people in the Old Testament are unusual, not in that they're sinless or somehow they're stronger and better than us, but they're called of God to do something unusual. There's a call of God on them. That's not quite the same for us. They are heroes. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Ruth, the prophets, all these people, they're heroes. They're called to something unusual. And that's part of the story. And, and it's important to get that. They're heroes, and, and the hero aspect speaks to the fact that we need heroes. We, need, we live in a world that's broken, and our own lives are often are broken. And there's struggles that we have, and we need someone to come in and rescue us. So the, the hero aspect of the flawed heroes is, is a good thing. It's instructive to us. It, it, it reminds us that we need hope. We need deliverance we need someone to come in and rescue us but they're flawed heroes aren't they they're flawed i mean read the stories there are actually some of them are incredibly flawed start with adam and eve they are i mean they they walk with god in the garden they are the first man and woman they are without sin and yet they fail miserably they they're told, basically, guys, enjoy everything. Fill the earth. Subdue it. All the stuff you get to enjoy. Go. Love God. Love others. Do this. One little thing. Don't, don't eat the fruit of this one tree. And this is the one point where you need to trust Me and obey Me. And there's like a gazillion other trees around and things to do. And what do they do? They eat fruit of the tree. They reject God's authority. They reject reliance on God and they go their own way and they fall and they plunge humanity into, into tragic failure as well. 
Abraham, he's, Abraham is amazing. He's a man of great faith. He leaves everything to follow God. He leaves his home. He leaves his family. He leaves the familiar. Back in the day when to do that meant like you could be killed. You left the safety of your, your city, your village. He leaves it all to follow God. Great faith. And, and in the face of devastating barrenness, he's really old and his wife's really old. And God says, I'm going to give you a son and, and your children are going to be innumerable. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars of the sky and the sand of the, of the seashore. And, and yet Abraham's old. They're not able to have children. Yet he believes God. And it's credited to him as righteousness. He's an amazing hero of faith. And yet, this same guy throws his wife under the bus because he's afraid of, of the rulers who, think, who find his wife attractive. He's thinking, they're going to kill me and take my wife. So tell him I'm your brother. Tell him we're we're cousins or brother and sister. And, and he throws her under the bus to be abused, to become a sex object to these other people. I mean, that's a major failure. He also uh, decides, yeah, I know God promised me to have innumerable descendants, but I don't know, you know how he's going to do this thing. I'm old and my wife can't have kids. So I'm not going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to make it happen. You know, I'm going to make this thing happen. And so he fathers Ishmael who's who's a perennial problem for Isaac and his descendants. He's a failure. And I could go through the other stories. Moses as well. David, boy. Incredible hero. Tragic. Tragic in his failure of murder and adultery. These go together. The flawed heroes occupy our Bible. They occupy our Bible to present the hero side to uh, to show us we need hope, we need deliverance, we need somebody to do something about this. The flawed part leaves us in tension, realizing there's nobody who can quite do it right. Even the best that we have to offer falls short. And this in Scripture ultimately points us to the one flawless hero who is a flaw-bearing hero. The tension we feel in these stories as we see the good things, but as we feel the tension of, of failure, and, and the Old Testament is, a, is this mixture of flawed heroes, of, of victory, of faith, of great things, but, but failure. That tension we feel is meant to direct us to Jesus. To put our faith in Him. To put our faith in the, in the One who came. God in the flesh. God had to come in the flesh as a man to be the unflawed hero. To rescue. And so the whole storyline, all that's been going on, is, is ultimately to point to this key part of the story. Jesus who comes as the greater Moses. As the greater Adam. He's the greater Adam because He resisted Satan. And He suffered on the tree. To obey and to follow God. He's the final Noah who delivers us from judgment. He's the ultimate offspring of Abraham through whom Abraham's descendants are innumerable. He's the better Moses, the deliverer and Savior and the giver of the law. He's the real Joshua. That's what his name means. God saves. Who saves His people. Who brings His people to the promised land. He's the true Israel who's faithful and never fails. He fulfills the covenant of Moses. He's the righteous reigning David, the good shepherd, the gracious king. He is the prophet who speaks 
for God. He's the Son of Man, the giver of the Spirit. He's the fulfillment of Simeon and Anna's hopes. He is Jesus, the center of the Old and New Testament. That's what we often miss. That's what the early disciples miss. I, I love the story of uh, the, when Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead and, and the disciples, the two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about what's gone on and they're confused. What's gone on? We, we thought this was the guy and yet He was crucified. And, and yet we're hearing this stuff that He's risen from the grave and, and Jesus comes alongside of Him and... and uh, and he's, it's interesting, he's acting like he doesn't know about it. Um, they say to him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he says to them, what things? And they go on to say, and they explain to it. And then he says in verse 25, I think we have this verse, Ethan. Um, verse 25, 24-25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory and begin with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Can you imagine being part of that conversation? These are guys who knew their Bibles, right? They knew the stories. They knew the flawed heroes. They knew all about all the individuals. The stories, they would have memorized much of it. They would have been saturated in these stories. And yet they missed the point. The point is to point to Jesus. To resolve that tension. To fulfill all the promises. And Jesus explains how the Old Testament does that. So let us not miss that point, right? Let us recognize as we dig into the Old Testament, the point is to point us to Jesus. I don't know where all the time went. One point really quickly uh, is to understand, we'll talk about more, this more as we go through, that it comes to us, the Old Testament comes to us as a story of covenants. God relates to us through covenant. This is really important to get. It's not as important as that it's all about Jesus. But it is an important part of the fact that it is all about Jesus. God has made covenants with mankind from the beginning to end. The original five books were given to people who had just made a covenant with God. They had been delivered from Egypt and they had made a covenant. There was blood that was shed to mark the covenant. And there were promises made to God in response to His grace, saying, making this solemn arrangement. And then in that context, Moses gave them the first five books of the Bible. And the first five books is a history of all of these covenants that had already been made that they were in as well. The covenant with Adam and Eve, they, were, they failed in that. There was a covenant with Noah, there was a covenant with Abraham. It was a one-sided covenant with Abraham. And that is the overriding covenant of grace we call, where God said, I'm going to do all this stuff, and you don't have to do anything. But this, believe it. And Abraham believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that is the fundamental covenant for relating to God. We believe Him at His Word. We trust in Him. We trust in Him to make a way when we fail. And that covenant of grace marks the people of God. And that was the covenant that preceded the covenant of Moses, by the way. The people of God were expected to live under the covenant of Abraham and now live that out and express it through the covenant of Moses. We know they all failed, right? We know they failed in the covenant of Moses. There was a covenant with David. David failed. And then ultimately, Jesus comes and fulfills these covenants and forms a new covenant in Himself as the covenant, the only covenant keeper. 
And when we put our trust in Christ, we are united with the covenant keeper. We are in the covenant. We are covenanted with God and relate to God now through Christ. All of our sins are paid for through Christ. It's an amazing arrangement. Just like the faith of Abraham, we trust in Christ. And all of our sins through His righteous life offered on the cross, His blood shed for us, all of our sins are paid for. And more than that, all these covenants that mankind was supposed to fulfill, He has fulfilled in Himself. And we are credited with that in Jesus. So God relates to us as if we were covenant keepers ourselves. It's an amazing truth. We are justified. We are righteous as Jesus. Through Jesus. Through faith. And then in that new relationship, He writes the law on our hearts now. So it's not just an idea. It's not external. It's on our hearts. It's here. It's deep. And Yeah, there's other things we struggle with. We still are fallen humanity and until we go to be with the Lord, we'll have this remnant, this sinful remnant indwelling sin with us. But we also have the law of God in our heart, the Spirit of God. And we are in covenant with God. We celebrate that covenant through communion and as we worship together. And so... We relate to God through covenants. That's important as we read the Old Testament to understand that's what's going on and that's how God does things. We don't tend to like covenants as Westerners. right? We value our individual freedom more than anything. Don't talk to me about covenants or formal arrangements, agreements. I don't want agreements. I want freedom. That's not how God works. and That's how, not how most of other cultures work. He works through these arrangements, these agreements. And Christ is the ultimate covenant keeper. We put our faith in Him. Now, in conclusion, I hope that makes sense. I hope that's helpful to you. I hope it helps you read your Old Testament and enjoy this series. The, the final part of this, I, I am excited to do this because I believe we are going to encounter God through this series. I believe He's going to use His Word and He's going to change us. See, this Old Testament is given in many ways ultimately for us. Did you know that? It's given for you, King of Grace Church. It's given for you, New Testament believer. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, Now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. When all these things happen, when God put them in His Word and, and they were recorded and preserved, certainly He had the original audience in mind, but He, but he had ultimately you in mind. On whom the end of the ages has come. Come, First Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Isn't that amazing? These glorious things in the Old Testament were recorded for you. And they are glorious things that, that angels wondered about. What is, what is going on? What's God's plan? What is this? How's it going to come together? And it's for you. If the band could come up as we close. I, I want to finish with that so that you would recognize that this series is intended by God for you. He wants you to Dig into the Old Testament that you would understand things that angels have longed to look into. That you would get the story and the impact of everything that's there. And you'd see, wow, it's meant for me. It's meant to teach me about who God is and who we are as His people. It's meant to form us and to shape us into God's people, to be His people here, 
To be a witness to the world, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love, so love one another that others would see, surely these people are unique and they've been with Jesus. That's the intention here. So if you could just stand with me for a couple minutes and we're going to sing too, because I want to pray. I had thought about breaking into groups and praying, but I just want to pray for us and together. If you can agree with me, I want to pray for this series. I want to pray for some of the things we've just talked about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that we get to be the recipients of all all the intentions of these promises and these stories. Thank You, Lord, for who You are and what You've done. Thank You for how You've rescued Your people all through the ages. And You've finished that and fulfilled it in Christ. We, through faith, are included in Christ together. So thank You. And we ask You, Lord, through this series, through going through the Old Testament together, would You, would you teach us about Yourself? Would we know You better? Would we see more of Your glory? Would we be more thankful for what You've done and how You've rescued us? Would we be in greater faith for what You're going to do? For You want all peoples to know this story and to come to faith. Lord, Lord, would You change us? Would You make us love one another more deeply to understand who Your church is and what its purposes are more thoroughly? Would You make us shine for You more gloriously to our neighbors and to this community? Would You do all these things through Your Word, Lord God? We know this is the intent of Your Word. and So we ask as Your people together, do this and more through Your living and wonderful Word. We thank You and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.